All right, this should be good. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, along with the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello, hello. And music video sins writer, Barrett Scher. Howdy. And uh, we've been uh, doing the years in film since we've been born uh, for the past several podcasts. We started with 1975, and tonight we get to do 1982. Some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, a good year. And as we talked about in a previous podcast, 1982 is an amazing year. Yeah. 1982, um, right off the bat, there's just so many things that stand out. E.T., the extraterrestrial, mm-hmm. is one of the big ones. And it's a big one for me. It's one of the first movies I remember seeing in a movie theater. Um, and I was, I was all about some ET when I was five and I even played the Atari 2600 game, the legendary <laughs> Atari 2600 in game. Mexico Atari 2600. That's right. That's right. And I had a copy of it and I played it like it was the best game ever made. Yeah, you didn't um, different. I didn't, I didn't, um, uh, others on the here, uh, of course, if we're talking Spielberg poltergeist, uh, a movie that, uh, he has they there's been some sort of like a uh, conflict as to whether he directed it or toby hooper direct, directed it um uh, a lot of people say toby hooper directed it a lot of people said well spielberg was there all the time he actually shot uh poltergeist in about the same neighborhood as he did et so he was able to go to both <laughs> movies and just kind of see what was going on because they both came out like around the same time like one came out a week after the other like poltergeist i think wow. came out a week after et um, but, uh, uh, really good stuff. Anything else stand out to you guys? Well, I think there are easily like maybe as close to a, as many as a dozen films you could make a legit argument for either on quality or cultural impact from this year. Yeah. Um, unlike 81, where I was pretty sure it was going to come down to just about two movies, maybe three, this one, I, I'm legitimately bracing for you guys to say anything. Um, but for me, the sweet spot, this is the year that Wrath of Khan came out. Yeah. Um, mm. And um, by the time this episode hits the airwaves uh, and is warming your ear holes, uh, we will have already released a Sins video for that. Um, and uh, I, I hope we get to discuss some of that as we move forward in this debate. Um, it's also, I noticed, there are plenty of other top quality movies that I'll let Barrett mention, but really good year for cult films. I feel like we said this a lot, but... Um, Conan the Barbarian, Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's one more. Oh, geez. Dark Crystal, Secret of Nip. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And then, you know, you have got Fast Times at Richmond High, which is yes. for some people as good as comedy gets. Yep. Um, so uh, just a really solid year. Barrett, what, what am I leaving out? It's kind of like the Armageddon Deep Impact or like Volcano Dante's Peak phenomenon. There's a lot of twos in this year. Oh, yeah. There's a double dose of Sly coming at you <laughs> with Rocky Three with yep. with uh, Clubber Lang and all that stuff. Yeah, and then fucking First Blood, which is 
not like any Rambo movie that you've ever seen. Uh, to people who grew up a little bit later, they figured that Rambo was this, you know, muscle bound, crazy Vietnam sniping, like, you know, human bullet machine. And it's completely opposite uh, in First Blood. It's it's awesome. And Rocky Three is one of my favorite Rockies, too. But then you had Jeremy mentioned Conan the Barbarian, but you had kind of like a double dose of like leather cod pieces because you had Beastmaster <laughs> come out this year, too. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a lot of these things. You had Porky's come out along with, uh, with uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So you had the sex crazed high school thing. So, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot going on. But I mean, what, what do you guys think about what I think was the best picture winner, Gandhi? Well, first off, uh, I just want to say that Porky's was 81. We did talk about that one. Google it, says 82. <sighs> I believe you because I've been around you long enough I to trust you your too. brain. Sorry, I just, well, I saw that no. Number. Well, here's the thing. This is an IMDb thing uh, because if if Porky's came out in 1981 on like some, in like some festival or something and it actually came out in 1982 – that's an IMDb thing. So it came out. Okay. So it came out in 81 in like Columbia, South Carolina. Of course. But that was like, <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, think it's cause it was shot there. Oh, okay. I think That's, it was shot there. Doesn't make any but then, it, came, sense but then it had it, then it had its major release in 82 that, that we're going to get the, by the way, we're going to get into this with crash because IMDb defiantly says crash came out in 2004 uh, mainly because of like, you know, um, uh, festival uh, circuit and all that. But it uh, also famously won Best Picture of 2005 because it came out in 2005. Um, so, yeah, Porky's did come out in 1982. We did talk about Porky's, though, in 81, but it did come out uh, March 19th as a as its major release or whatever. So sorry to break then break into that. I think we're going to run into this a couple of times. So yeah, we no, probably it's will. good to know. People need to know this information. Yeah. Um, anyway, you you asked uh, what we thought of Gandhi. I think that's a, a really uh, good movie. Um, I just, it's too long and it's too, I mean, it, it's not it's not like any of these other movies we're going to come up with. Um, it's long. Yeah, it's super long. Ben Kingsley's amazing in it. Um, uh, but uh, it, really, for me, it only sort of feels like this weird uh, trivia that's only in my head. And I don't think anybody else thinks about stuff like this. But uh, Richard Attenborough directed Gandhi and uh, he beat Spielberg for E.T. for the Academy Award. <laughs> and then later on was in Jurassic Park huh. playing John Hammond. Yeah, look at that. And he was he was OK with it. You he know, said, what? hey. That's an even that's an even better example. We've got to do that topic I suggested once about like directors who act and actors who direct. Mm -hmm. It's like I forgot yeah. that he was a director, like completely. Um, but he was anyway. Go on. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, the the Academy in night in the nineteen eighties started really going towards this. It has to be important. It has to be you know something that is life fulfilling uh, when they want when they awarded stuff best picture. Uh, and as a result of it, the eighties are filled with like best picture nominees or winners that you probably haven't watched, but once, or even at all a lot. Um, there are a couple of really good ones, but they started, started going towards this epic life changing, important film in the eighties where in the seventies, you know, you started, you saw stuff like Annie Hall and, and, um, 
uh, uh, Rocky and all that stuff getting getting uh, getting wins. So well, um, I think we probably ought to talk about Blade Runner a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, you know, this is after last week's conversation. This one's not going to help my reputation. But I'm not one of those people who like loves Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. Um, I don't feel like it's a masterpiece the way the people who love it do. But I recognize, I recognize there's some greatness in it. I just it just didn't hit the right chords for me. I don't know how you guys feel. That's going to be blasphemous to some people. It's one of the most controversial <laughs> movies I have ever run across. Yeah. Um, I um I am also somebody who doesn't consider it a masterpiece. Like it's not something that it's like I've got to plug this in today because right. it's it's so good. Um the thing about Blade Runner is that there's so much symbolism and there's so much to um there's so much interpretation of what's going on and is is uh, Harrison Ford's character a replicant or not and all this other type of stuff that, you know, people have been debating about for years and years. And of course, you know, you had the writer say one thing, you said Ridley Scott say another thing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like everybody's been like, uh, sort of like, uh, just sort of, I guess, uh, kept that argument going for the longest time. But when you watch Blade Runner, it's not like it's something that just grips you immediately. It's not anything that, uh, you know, I mean, I guess if you're a fan of it, it grips you immediately because the visuals are, you know, classic Ridley Scott type stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, man, I've I've always I've, I think I've been in the minority, but I know friends who are the same way. It's just like I just don't have the same love of this that a lot of people, other people do. What about you, Barrett? Yeah, it's kind of style over substance to me. And I mean, it's really good and it's really rewatchable. But it's, I think, as the years went by and the cult status of it grew and the moody, stylistic uh, type of uh, presentation was was kind of, everybody just loved it and, and, and put it in the stratosphere. I think more more so than it deserved because it was ahead of its time, probably. Well, and I don't, I don't think this was a huge hit either. I think this was a, a pretty much a bomb at the box office. It got, it got its reputation over, you know, people renting it yeah. uh, at those former blockbuster videos that used to be around. Um, it got its, it's got its reputation through that. Um, I've seen the movie probably six or seven times. I've really given it that many chances and I've never been like, man, I love this movie so much. I do love Rutger Hauer in it. Uh, I think Rutger Hauer is really, really good. He's a standout as far as that movie. The visuals are great and all that, you know, all that symbolism and interpretation is a fun type of thing. But if you're just kind of plugging in the movie, it's not like it's not something you can plug in at like three o'clock in the afternoon and and, uh, you know, do chores to it or whatever. You know, it's not one of those type of movies. Feed your lawn to it. <laughs> yeah, feed your lawn to it. <laughs> uh, what about Diner? Did you guys ever see Diner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Diner's good. Okay. So, you know, I had a friend that introduced me to Diner. He was obsessed with it. He probably still is. Um, and of course, Diner was the, was the kicking and screaming uh, for the previous generation. Oh, and that's a good call. Yep. I mean, like the Noah Bombeck version. That's and a good call. Yeah, I mean, it's it's these kind of arrested development guys reluctant to go into adulthood and everything. And it's got kind of the similar interactions and dialogue and that kind of thing. And yeah, to and tons of, of big a certain people, age. right? Like Mickey Rourke and Kevin Bacon and Tim Daly and Paul Reiser. And, um, of course, the, the, the main thing I remember from this movie, having only seen it like two or three times, 
is the movie theater scene with the popcorn bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's sitting next to the pretty girl sharing popcorn, and he has somehow, surreptitiously, I don't know how he did this, uh, <laughs> stuck his dick through the bottom yeah. of the popcorn bucket. <laughs> he cut a hole in the box. And she's casually reaching for popcorn and eventually touches his dick. And, uh, <laughs> the power of the boner. That's I'm, right. I think if, if I remember right, he even gets to gets laid with that girl later. Like, I think that works. Maybe not. Well, Maybe she just and diner is, diner is also a movie that you look back on and go, what the hell happened to Mickey Rourke? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, Mickey Rourke, the, the story is, is well known, but, uh, but you look back in the, in the 1980s, the guy was like a beautiful man. He was yeah. a beautiful man with a huge career. Like the eighties were huge. Helps make like his performance in the wrestler, like rings so much truer to me. Like I freaking yeah. love the movie and I think he's yeah, fantastic too. in it. Um, and he's not, fantastic in iron man 2 i'm not trying to say he's always great but uh that role was basically perfect for him after what he's been through um because mm-hmm. he's kind of really lived it anyway yeah um another one that pops out uh to me is again carpenter was on a roll john carpenter did the thing yeah. uh in 1982 a movie that is just it's really good i have seen that several times and it's just it's one of those that uh, it gets better, I think, every time I watch it. Um, the whole, uh, the whole, uh, you know, who's who's actually an alien and who's not, and all that. It's uh, it's done so well in that movie, and then just kind of like crapped on by the uh, prequel that came out uh, a few years ago, uh, where they basically just said, you know, all that stuff that they uncovered in the first movie. Well, here's what happened, and it's like we don't need to know that. Once again, we didn't need to know that, yeah. but the thing is a really good, really good suspense movie. And Kurt Russell also at his at his best. Well, and I had never seen it until like maybe six or seven months ago. It came on one of the HBO or something on TV, and I just decided to have it on, and I ended up getting sucked into it. It's great. You're absolutely right. Um, another one that pops out. Uh, I I, uh, I I spent a long time of my life avoiding Tootsie because I thought I was I had seen Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> so I was like, so, so, so Tootsie came, so Tootsie for me came after Mrs. Doubtfire. And I was like, is this going to be a whole bunch of, you know, like, ha ha, it's a man playing a woman. It's so funny. Um, and then I watched it and I was like, wow, this is really good. This is a really funny movie. And it is the, the reason, you know, the reasons behind Dustin Hoffman, uh, becoming a woman in this movie and everything it's never done with that like you know silly mrs doubtfire type of thing so i i was surprised by that movie when i saw it there's a couple of good musicals uh in this year that that are worth mentioning first of all annie the original mm-hmm. or kind of the the one that you think of uh cinematically of the annie uh which is really good it was a, it was a really good restyling of it and uh you know was kind of one of the movies that I probably watched, unfortunately, the most uh, just kind of got uh, played in my VCR over and over again. And <laughs> speaking of being played in a VCR over and over again, probably like three o'clock in the morning, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I have yeah. seen Pink Oof. Floyd The Wall a good 20 to 30 times. You know, the the album is one of the great, one of the best selling albums of all time, uh, along with Dark Side of the Moon, strangely enough, and Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller. And the wall was the uh, the cinematic representation of it, and it was wild, man. I mean, things like that hadn't been seen before, 
combining animation with the uh, with obviously the music and all that stuff. And Bob Geldof was yeah yeah kind of freaky as yeah. Pink and the whole descent into drug addiction. It has one scene that always gets me. It's when he's smoking a cigarette on the couch and he never ashes. Mm-hmm. And the cigarette burns all the way down to the filter. Yep. And remain and retains the ash all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Reason, that was very impressive. Oh, yeah. Like, he didn't move. He was so in a heroin-induced comatose state. That he yeah. just like, let this go. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a perfect, like, midnight movie. You know, like, uh, th- I think there were a few theaters that would play those, at, play that at midnight. You know, it's perfect for, yeah. uh, because it's it's not like, you know, you don't have to really pay attention to the story or anything. It's all about the songs and everything. Um uh, I, I, I do love it. I do think that when you first watch it, when you're like a teenager, you think it's such a deep movie and everything. And then, <laughs> then later on, you're like, no, nah, it's just kind of a random bunch of, <laughs> bunch of stuff happening. You know, it means something to the people who made it, I guess. Let's um, not forget the, uh, classic musical, um, the verdict starring Paul Newman, <laughs> man, the verdict is, is one of the, I mean, the, the, the verdict is a movie that's going to really challenge for the, uh, top movie of night. 1982. I love the verdict. Um, um, I can't tell it, what are you laughing? I can't tell. It's over the internet. I can't see your face. Uh, I it's think not sarcastic. Answering. Yeah, it's, no, I love the verdict. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I just you yeah. should, I couldn't tell. No, Paul Newman is, is, uh, is great in it. And it's just one of those, it's just one of those great stories and it's a different kind of underdog story. Um, I, I I've I've watched the verdict a couple of times. I probably should watch it even more, but it's it's just fantastic. It is. It's great. I loved it. Um a movie that there's a, you you guys have heard this about Meryl Streep, right? Like Meryl Streep has never really been in a cinematic masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like like she's good and she can be great in whatever movie that she's in. But the movies that she's been in, hardly ever. And there's some people who will argue The Deer Hunter. And we've already said, no, we don't like that movie at all. But um, it's Sophie's Choice is another one of those movies. Uh, it has a great scene with her in it. Um, but it's just the whole the whole, <laughs> the whole, whole rest of the movie is is just a nothing. It's, a, it's one of those movies that in the early 80s, they made lots of. They made a lot of these type of movies. And, uh, and this one isn't very good, I don't think, um, even though it's got like a 7.7 on the IMDb. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Sophie's Choice, but uh, it's another one of the long line of Meryl Streep movies that are not great. You know, well, we're going to find out here in a few minutes exactly how reliable IMDb can be when it comes to overall ratings and lists. Oh, yes, that is true. <laughs> but, that is um, so true. I have not seen Sophie's Choice, so I can't really comment. Um, anything else stand out to you guys? Because I know there's a, quite a few here. Was 48 Hours the one that was that was super racist? I think it was, but. Beverly Hills Cop may have also had some, uh, some too. I don't remember. I get those movie, movies kind of confused sometimes. <laughs> that's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna hurt our friend Jonathan, who probably holds both of those movies in high regard. But, uh, but I haven't, I haven't seen them enough to be able to say yes. Forty eight hours is the racist one. I think it is because Nick Nolte is the one who says all this the yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah, I feel like that's probably it. I think I cut you off before. Were you gonna mention a few more? 
Um, I was going to no. Um, actually, I mean, there are plenty more I could mention, but nothing that I think is even close to challenging for. Like, I was going to say something about Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Uh, oh yeah, I, I don't think that's anywhere near the best movie of '82. And no, you know, '80s child Steve Martin fan me watched that movie expecting something wildly different than what it is because it's so freaking subtle and um, <clears throat> it's more about that concept than it is in any like laugh moments um but uh you know it conceptually it was uh pretty unique for its time uh i'll name a few others and then i think we can vote on this an officer and a gentleman came out in 1982 uh good movie probably won't challenge for uh for our best picture um but uh it's a it's good um <laughs> this movie uh isn't is where we belong exactly and that <laughs> movie reminds you of that song all the way through it it does that it does that like you know that little bit of notes of that song like four or five times yeah. all the way through it um a movie that just uh, I remember when Airplane 2 came out. Uh, well, no, I don't remember when it came out, but I remember watching it and I was like, did the same people make this movie? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. They completely were against it. But like there were like a lot of, they got a lot of the same people to, to come back and everything. They even got Shatner to come into this and make fun of his Captain Kirk. Uh, everything. Airplane 2, not good. Um uh, what else uh, on here stood out to me? Uh, the King of Comedy. That's a uh, one of the most underrated Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. that's De Niro, uh, right? It is De Niro, and uh, De Niro once again playing sort of a you know a crazy person, uh, but not like his taxi driver crazy person. This is more of a, a sort of a delusional type of guy. Um, uh, but uh, the King of Comedy is uh, him sort of like stalking Jerry Lewis and trying to get on his show and everything and uh it's really well done but it's just never considered one of his best but it's it's uh i think it's just underrated for some reason this reminds me uh, i'm not sure why but did you ever see talk radio i didn't i didn't that's oliver stone right yes yeah that was on the other day and uh for some reason i i connect that movie to the one you're talking about uh, the King of Comedy. I think it's probably just that I watched them both around the same time. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I only saw that one once, and I remember thinking it was really good, and why haven't I heard more about it? Right. Um, another another one that I love watching, it's not great by any means, but Creep Show. Uh, <laughs> the George Romero, like, it's, it's, a, it's an anthology, uh, sort of like comic book horror anthology or whatever. Um, but there's several like pretty fun stories in there. And every time it comes on, I, I, I stick around and watch it. And a lot of great people in it, too. Um, I love the Hal Holbrook one and uh, the one with Leslie Nielsen and uh, it, with uh, Ted Danson, uh, like his wife is cheating on him with Ted Danson and everything is is just it's a mixture of comedy and horror. That's just you got to see it to believe it. You know, uh, that, did you see I'm getting off track? I'm like distractimus maximus today. Did you see that SNL sketch that was a spoof of um Dead Poets Society. <laughs> yeah, I did actually. <laughs> I did. I, it was so fantastic. If you, I mean, it's only funny because it's so unexpected and so over the top. But God, I was not expecting. Like they had me hook, line, and sinker expecting uh, was... a, a, a verbal joke. Yeah, 
I was doubled over laughing during that. It was it was it was really well done. My wife came into the room. What are you watching? I was like, you're going to hate this. You don't want to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm going to say one more. Then I think we can go on uh, the, the movie Missing. Uh, Jack Lemon uh, is in this one uh, with uh, Sissy Spacek. And uh, he's trying to find uh, his son who's been lost and who's who's missing in Chile. And it's based on a it's based on a true story of this reporter who uh, who went down to it was Chile was having a uh, sort of a revolution or, or a, a coup. I think it was a coup. And um, and uh, and Jack Lemon in that movie, it was it was interesting to watch him because I, I sort of knew Lemon from a lot of comedies and even Glengarry Glenn Ross. You can even kind of say that's a comedy in some in some places. Um, but he's he's straight up dramatic in this one. And it was just interesting to watch him uh, not like cracking any jokes or, you know, or anything like that. He's just straight up and uh, he got nominated for an Oscar. He didn't win, but it was really it's a really good performance. Um, and, uh, uh, something that, you know, you, that's definitely another movie you don't put on at three o'clock to do chores. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyway, we've named a million here. Uh, what's it, what, what do you think is going to win on this? Barrett, you want to take us away? I've actually got, uh, the round Robin, uh, orders projected out for the next couple of, a couple of weeks. And it's actually, <laughs> and this week it's Jeremy, Chris, and then me. Okay. All right. So I got to go first. Yep. yep. Jesus. All right. Well, it's Rathacon for me. Um, mm. And there are multiple reasons. Um, still the best Star Trek movie. Um, one of the first space adventure action films uh, that just really works on all levels. Um, and I like E.T. a lot. I do. Uh, but I never fell for it the way like others did. Um like it seems like a lot of people in my peer group fell for it the way we fell for Star Wars. Um, and that just never, mm. it's never happened for me. I just always thought it was a good movie. Um, <clears throat> and there's just nothing else after ET, uh, and wrath of Khan, there's nothing else I think is better than wrath of Khan, both for cultural impact, uh, science fiction, film impact, Star Trek impact, uh, and just overall quality. Um, I gotta go wrath of Khan. Sorry. You should, you should, you should be goddamn sorry. You motherfucker. Somebody out there is going to be mad at me for stepping on E.T. And I'm not trying to step on E.T. I just, I just, I just don't love him the way I fucking love that Nebula fight at the end of Rathacon. Yeah. Well, look, you can defend that movie all you want to. You're a piece of shit. Um, I I, I am going to go E.T. Um, I, I think just I, Spielberg's just on an, another level during this time. And, and this is the reason why I love movies is because of him and because of all the movies he came out with in this era. Spielberg and Lucas basically ruled this era, 75 to 83. It was, you know, it was basically one after another Spielberg and Lucas and all that. But ET in general, just as uh, I, I always feel, I always feel it when, you know, ET is about to die and Elliot comes in and, and is screaming and everything. Basically, his uh, his audition tape that was his audition tape was was him sort of like being able to convey those emotions. That's how Henry Thomas won the uh, the role of Elliot was being able to do stuff like that and uh, just you know that all that scene and then of course like the whole like bike ride to the forest and everything and then it, it you know ET making the bike fly and you see it up against the moon and all this other type of stuff always got me. 
Um, and so I always thought it was a great, uh, a great story and, uh, it, it captured my imagination. So ET is my, my pick. Nice. I really had to talk myself out of first blood. <laughs> I love that movie so much. You know, I it, love is, that it movie is the, so much. no, it is weird though, right? Because that movie is so different from the other Rambo's. It's so different. Even in like the eighties, like even in like when Rambo three came out or whatever, and you said, "Man, I, First Blood's a great movie." You probably still gotten some stares, yeah, because because that's how. That's how much the character changed to that point. It's people forgetting that the first one was like actually trying to tell a story. Anyway, go ahead. I know, man. And, it, you know, it was set in like the Pacific Northwest and it was just kind of like a a man against the world type of story. And uh, I, I love it. I could watch that thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. I love me some E.T. I'm tempted to just give it my vote for the score alone. Mm-hmm. I was listening to it again today. And of course, it's got when the the they take flight in the bike. Like, mm-hmm. And what what's interesting to me because like it, John Williams did the score, and like as horny as he typically is, like horny by meaning like he uses a lot of horns. <laughs> yeah. Like imagine the opening of Star Wars, the yeah, like that's all done with strings, and it's like this nice warm. Anyway. Um, we're going to go another round because I think based on, uh, cultural impact for comedies overall, I don't think you can really, uh, negate the impact on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That influenced so much in the comedy landscape. It had some dramatic moments. It had some uncomfortable moments. It had a lot of Jennifer Jason Lee nudity. Yes. And had a lot of Phoebe Cates nudity. It so did. Basically, I'm just voting it because of the nudity and the impact. So, 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 so you're you're actually voting Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I am. I, I see what you're saying. So, Fast Times is yours. I have no argument with that, and especially the story behind the making of it is great too. If yeah. you could ever find it, it was Cameron Crowe uh, basically doing 21 Jump Street before 21 Jump Street, and uh, going into a high school and investigating. Uh, how kids talked and, and, uh, making a, scr- making a book first out of it and then, uh, turning it into a screenplay. It is great. I love it. I watch it all the time. That's not a bad pick. I can't so, argue that. No. So we're, we are now, uh, we've now got, uh, single votes <clears throat> for fast times, ET and star Trek. So let's go to our second picks. All right. And I went first, right? Yep. Uh-huh. I'm going ET. Um, okay. I, I have to respect its cultural impact and its overall greatness. And uh, even if it didn't hit my sweet spot, uh, I can't deny that it is at the very worst, the second best film of 1982. Um, I am, I'm going to go for my second pick fast times at Ridgemont high. Um, It is, uh, it is, it's just a funny movie and it's, and it's, oh man, I don't know if it's me. I just, Sean Penn in that movie is just so good and he's never done anything like it since. Um, yeah, and he's been intentional. A, he, he, probably he's done. I mean, he, I think he's done a couple of comedies. I think he was in, was it that we're no angels or whatever? Um, what, <laughs> uh, I mean, and he was, apparently he did a voice in this angry birds movie. How the hell that happened? Oh, and mystic river. That was oh yeah. Mystic river. river. That oh, was really light, comedy. really light entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, um, but yeah, fast times. He's so good. And that part where that, that dream sequence where he's talking to the reporter just cracks my ass up every time. Um, and, uh, and just, I, I just, I just love it for that, you know, just the general frankness of it and just the, the honesty of it. Um, it, it really does. I mean, I wonder how that movie would have been with a, uh, a guy director. This is a, a woman, a female director doing this movie. And like she puts in a lot of the stuff that's going to be staples of the eighties comedies, you know, lots of nudity and everything, but they had to cut out, they had to cut out like male nudity in that movie because that was one of those, <laughs> that was one of those movies where they're like, nah, you can show, you can show Jennifer Jason Lee, like nearly completely, totally naked, but you can't show a penis. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be really uh, upsetting to people. Tell who that are to watching. Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Holy crap. Uh, but, uh, but uh, aside from that, it, it's just a good movie. It's just good. Great. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great comedy. It makes you laugh all the way through it. And, um, and it's just, uh, um, I'm, I'm with Barrett on what he said on that. So that's my second choice. Well, we have a solid number two then, but we also have a solid number one because I'm going to e. vote for ET. Mm-hmm. And so that's one first place and two second place. So that wins it. Yep. Yep. All you Trek fans out there, I just want you to know who was represented. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I, and I'm not, I'm, I love Wrath of Khan as well. Um, I, know you do. I think, I think it would probably be my third choice after all this. Um, but then there's, I mean, there's other stuff that I was considering. Poltergeist and The Thing, those were all like in the mix too. Secret of Nim for me was my dark horse. Oh my man. God. Secret of Nim. I saw that hundreds of times back <clears> in the day. Like yep. it used to come on HBO all the time and I used to watch it. It's it. I don't think anything there's not been much made like it since it's a scary ass cartoon. It is. Yeah. And I had a friend back at a theater you and I used to work at together. Uh, who once said to me, you want to know what's fun? Take a bunch of drugs and watch <laughs> secret and nim. <laughs> and I bet you can guess which friend said that to me. I, them. I do know the friend. Um, uh, and, and they're right. That's exactly what that, I mean, I, I don't have to take drugs to enjoy that movie, but I bet if I did, the enjoyment levels would go up several notches. Well, and I mean, it's, a movie that i don't think it it won't you'll never get that today because everybody believes kids are snowflakes so like they can't see anything uh disturbing and that was a movie where you actually thought some of the main characters could die in it you know that that was Let's put fart and piss jokes in all the kids' movies, though, because that's okay. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, totally fine. Everybody poops, right. so that's <laughs> all, that is not off limits. Yeah. Uh, so we've gone a little populist again in the past couple of three, three, I think. Uh, we've gone populist. Empire Strikes Back and then um, uh, Raiders and now E.T. Um, that's so. because in those instances, the populist was right. Yeah. yeah. Our picks look like a teenage boy's posters on his wall growing up it could you could uh you could argue that you know the we were kids we grew up with these movies and we've seen them so many times that uh to go against them is uh is painful you know we have to we have to go we have to go with our uh, our heart on that and you know that's what those are the movies we grew up with What's going to get interesting and also make these episodes really long is when we start getting into the era of opening on 3,500 screens and five movies opening each weekend. And because uh, we're still in 82, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> ET played in my hometown 
for a year and a half before anything else ever even came to the theater. Well, and I it's mean, also, yeah, it did. It's also a good, it's a good point to say in, in for this, uh, that we might start letting some of these slide. Uh, because I, I go through this and I'm like, well, we got to mention that that was a big movie. We got to mention that that was a big movie. And right. now I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay, now we just need to name the ones that can win because we're starting to get into territory where we've seen everything. I'll be all right if Avatar doesn't get brought up the year that it came out. Yeah, right? absolutely. No vote that and it won't. Movie. It won't. Although I may bring up the fact that I saw it twice. I saw it in 2D and 3D just to see if there was any difference. And like 2D version, that sucked. Maybe I'll watch it in the 3D and it'll be better. Nope, it wasn't. Nope. It sucked either way. Um, <laughs> so let's just put that as a placeholder for... Uh, uh, for Avatar, like when in 2009 comes up, we're not going to mention that bitch. All right. So uh, today we're going to be talking about our best villains, our favorite villains in movies. And uh, we I think we're going to have some good ones here. Good evening, Clarice. My name is not Buddy. The boy who lived come to You, who wants to start off on this? Well, we've broken it down just for the listener. We've broken it down into three categories because um, best villain is, is pretty broad. Um, so we're going to do animated. So best animated villain, best horror movie villain, and best action movie villain um, to just give it a little bit of variety and spice. And uh, I guess we start with animated because that's what's listed first on my personal notes. I'll go first for animated. And uh, I thought about this long and hard. I have at least five animated villains on my list that I could make a good argument for that I really love. But the best overall, in my opinion, is Syndrome from The Incredibles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's for several reasons. Uh, the, first, the voice performance is great. Uh, Jason Lee kills that role. Um, and uh, second of all, he's got you know a, a legit believable motivation, right? He was spurred by his hero, spurned. Spurred. Spurned. He's not a a horse, so he was spurned. Um, And, you know, that would make somebody bitter if it happened at the right age and if it was the right kind of hero worship going on. Um, And I also love that he doesn't have any superpowers. He uses his brain. He's just a super genius who builds weapons and sells them and makes money, um, all in an effort to sort of take down uh, all the heroes, but most importantly, Mr. Incredible, the one that spurned him. Um, and, uh, it almost works. And so he's capable, he's intelligent. Uh, the performance is enjoyable. Uh, I am on record thinking that movie is near perfect and Pixar's best. Um, so I can, I can think of no better than Syndrome from Incredibles. So it's, um, it's (laughs) kind of refreshing too, because, uh, most of the villains that we're used to, uh, in the comic book, comic book movie age, or, you know, they've been thrown into radioactive sludge or, uh, <laughs> they've, uh, experimented on themselves yeah, or they tested their weapon <laughs> on themselves. Yeah. Or, uh, something like that. This guy actually, you know, as a kid, uh, gets turned down by one of his heroes and it, and he turns that into rage and it becomes like something that, you know, he's been working on this for years and years and years to the point that he can afford his own 
uh, island out in the middle of uh, <laughs> wherever, in well, the middle of nowhere. Let's not forget, when he was rejected by Mr. Incredible, he had already invented working rocket boots. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like he was just some stalker Taylor Swift fan wanting an autograph. Like, he had demonstrated some ability and is just dismissed instantly. So you, I, I totally buy his arc and his development. Yeah, I I love that, and that of course we both love that movie, uh, an amazing amount. It's just it's one of my favorite movies of the past fifteen years. So, um, I'm I'm with you on that one, uh, Barrett. Yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, my favorite my favorite villain, animated villain, the one that immediately comes to mind is from a very probably underseen movie, especially with Disney behind it. It was from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. oh. that, uh, the one that came out in 1996, and that at the time had really groundbreaking animation for a 2D animation feature. And it had, you know, Demi Moore in it, had, uh, you know, a lot of it. Jason Alexander was one of the gargoyles. Uh, it was, it's a great movie overall. You have to go see it, or you have to see it at some point. I think it's on Netflix. Um, but the villain in that is Claude Frollo, who's this. A uh, fine, upstanding uh, Monsignor from the the city of Paris, and who is just diabolical. I mean, he is uh, he's everything that you associate with evil. He's self righteous. He thinks that he's uh, above everyone. He's a good man, but you know he gets whatever he wants to, and he takes whatever he wants to, and he ends up burning the whole freaking city down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing this in the theater with my girlfriend at the time. Um, Hey, wherever you are. Um, but uh, <laughs> when he sings that sex song, basically, about Demi Moore, like... Hellfire. Yeah. I remember thinking, this is too much for a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> they have to cross the line. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, he gets into it. He's like, you know, this gypsy is going to be mine. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy and everything, but I'm going to have some sex with this, this gypsy. And, so uh, yeah, wrong. I thought the, kind of the same thing at the time. It's dark. It's brooding and it's you know uh the whole stuff in the in the underground in the catacombs of paris with the the jester and everything is kind of uh dark and and mysterious but it's a terrific movie and he is a perfect villain in that he's not overpowering he's not like ursula in the little mermaid that can you know jafar that can grow a zillion times their size uh he's just a, a man that's pissed off and really hates people well and um correct me if i'm wrong but quasimodo is voiced by tom hulse right who was yeah, Mozart in Amadeus. Yep. Yeah. Um, which, when I first found that out, was, at the time, maybe one of the single most mind-blowing film facts I'd ever heard. <laughs> so, here's the thing. I'm, I haven't seen Hunchback of Notre Dame since it came out. Um, and I don't remember, like, I, I, I remember liking it okay. And, it, and I remember it being sort of a disappointment for a Disney movie, as far as box office was concerned. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but of course it came, it came after, you know, you had Lion King, which set a, an, an, an enormous bar that was right. impossible to reach. And then the next year they came out with Pocahontas, which did okay. And then Hunchback came out the following year. It used to come out with one every year. Um, and, uh, but, uh, it seems like it's gotten a little bit more of a following, uh, over the years. I've heard, I've heard this movie mentioned a couple of times recently. So it's like, I'm wondering if there's a sort of a building following for that movie that I didn't re- re- realize was happening. Well, and after that came Hercules, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think I like more than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it's like the, the gospel music or just James Woods who, 
it was Hades I almost nominated for best animated villain because he's so funny in that movie. Oh yeah. Um, but it's weird that stretch between Pocahontas and Hercules. It seems like you know every other person you asked on the street would have a different favorite and a different one they disliked. It was a really polarizing run there. Yeah, and and I think this is sort of the reason with with those movies happening at the same time as Toy Story and Bugs Life and all that were happening. Uh, Disney started you know going more towards the 3d animation at that point, because it was people were sort of like, uh, avoiding, you know, and then Tarzan came out in 99. Right. Um, Which is pretty it, good. I think. Yeah, it's pretty good. And, uh, and so like you had a lot of, uh, you know, you had a lot of st- a string of movies there that were, people were like, well, I really loved little mermaid and beauty and the beast and lion King and all that. That was great. But now you're kind of just, it feels like you're phoning it in. But a lot of those movies have, you know, have great followings behind them, but yeah, they, they just, they just weren't what doing what toy story and all that was. But I do remember that guy being dark as fuck Barrett. So yep. I can't fault your choice there because I walked out of that movie feeling like, man, if I had kids, I'd be mad if I showed them that movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, I am going to go and, 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 and of all time, uh, I'm going to say something that's hardly of all time here. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot. I mean, if you t- talk about a lot of the Disney villains, you have a lot of wicked queens and you have a lot of these, you know, type of uh, type of animated villains or whatever. But uh, the one that just uh, I always come back to is Saddam Hussein in South Park. Bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> hey, let's He's so absurd in that movie. The whole thing is absurd. He is a villain over Satan. That's how how much of a villain he is. And the fact that Saddam Hussein is is gay lovers with Satan. I mean, it's you know. I mean, come on, how's that top. happen? <laughs> yeah, he's the top. Yeah, un- unreal. But like, they gave him they gave him that voice that they give like the. I mean, it's a really crazy, like, you know, I love you, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> and I, and I will say that to people a lot. If there's like a dead silence somewhere, I will always find a way to just put, I love you. And there somehow is that I, I do that to my wife and she's never seen this movie. She has no idea what I'm referencing. I'll just say, I love you. And she'll smile. Like I just paid her the awesome compliment. Funny voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they turn Saddam Hussein into, well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, is it, is it an exaggerated version of him? I mean, well, who, know, know. who knows? Um, but, uh, but the, the fact that he's like this sex hungry like uh, you know maniac bent on world destruction what's funny is is that he's so bad that satan coming back to earth is not a big deal it, it him <laughs> satan just wants to be on earth that's all he wants to do you know with that great up there song and everything he just wants to be on earth but saddam hussein wants to rule and 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 make uh you know make everything uh not living like scar does and lion king and uh all these different things and uh it, it's uh it's amazing to me that they could turn a real uh a, a person from real life into and an exaggerated animated character. Yeah, like your that. best point is that he actually manipulates Satan himself. Right. So I mean, <laughs> how does he get more evil than that? So. Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> so that's what came to my mind. Nice. Uh, he he's he's clearly not the best, but he's one of the most memorable. I can yeah. get behind that logic. I like both of your choices, even though I like mine too. But uh, 
Any honorable mentions we want to throw out there quickly before we move on to the next genre? Um, whoever killed Bambi's mom. Oh, wasn't that a wasn't that yeah. a dinosaur? It was. Well, it was a dinosaur in 1985. Ah. Uh, they changed the uh, the narrative on that. But I, uh, I remember that. Um, I very nearly went Sid from Toy Story. Ooh, um, yeah. Which yeah. I think is a very defensible position because from the toy's perspective, I'm not sure there's a human that could be scarier than that guy. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's really, I mean, that movie's great. And, you know, I think even little kids can enjoy it. But there's a darkness to Sid that that is palpable, I think. And, yeah. Uh, and real feeling. So I wanted to throw that one out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's a serial killer in the making, isn't yeah. it? And, and until the toys take over, although there is a great uh, cracked article, I think from Dan, Dan O'Brien, who uh, we've met uh, before when he came out and everything, he, he, um, he wrote something about Sid and toy story and how that particular event, is actually like uh, a, a crushing uh, blow to him. Uh, is, is that kid is is going to be uh, crazy for life after that because oh, he can't yeah. tell that he can't tell that story without anybody, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, thinking he's he's going to be in a mental institution after Britney Spears, right? Like, like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I I definitely agree with Sid. All right, so should we move on to action? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm going to cheat and throw out a quick one I didn't choose that's not even action, but I feel like if we're talking about best villains and we don't bring up HAL 9000, um, then we have yeah. not done our job. Mm-hmm. You know? And the HAL 1000 paved the way for, you know, Skynet and the machines and the Matrix, which is where we get to my actual pick, uh, and Agent Smith from the Matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a role that introduced most American audiences uh, to this actor. And he just chews that shit up, man, mm-hmm. uh, in ways that, I mean, even in the second and third movies, he's still chewing it up while, while like Keanu and everybody else has just gone dead. Um, and it's just the speech he gives to Morpheus about the virus. There's another yeah, one on this planet that behaves <laughs> the same way. Um, it's just, I love that. He's, he's just as powerful as Neo. So when they get to that ultimate fight in the third movie and, and all the way along when they fight, they're, they're mostly equals. Uh, the snark. The delivery, the performance, um, and then just the true power. Because at the end of it all, he's a bigger threat to anything than anything else, right? The machines let Neo go in to fight him because they're afraid of what Agent Smith is going to do. And he could decimate the humans as well. He's already proven he can go into the human world. And so uh, for all those reasons, and obviously the fact that it's my favorite movie of all time, I'm a homer, I go Agent Smith from The Matrix. (laughs) All right. Hugo Weaving had a run there between the Matrix trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy where mm-hmm. he was just owning, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and he's so great and so different in both roles. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's uh, I always think about uh, Hugo Weaving, and <laughs> this is sort of a tangent, but like Hugo Weaving was in two different big trilogies at once, and so was Ian McKellen. He was in the X-Men as the, at the same time as Lord of the Rings. And then you had uh, Orlando Bloom, who yeah. was in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, and all that it's uh, it's crazy none of those actors by themselves uh are responsible for the success for those movies uh, as the you know the stratospheric success of those movies but they were they were
were in like at least six movies that made billions of dollars combined. Yeah. There was that glorious time in the late 90s when Jeff Goldblum had been in the highest grossing movies of all time just yeah. because of Independence <laughs> Day and Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the most bankable star. Not really. Not yeah, really. He's but just kind of lucky, but all right, we'll go with it. Misinterpreting your math there. Yeah. It's like uh, giving Billy D. Williams credit for the last two Star Wars. <laughs> and Batman. And, and Batman. So... <laughs> I would always read these things that the theater would get, like they would show like um, uh, these movies are coming out and here's some actors who are in it and they would show the actors box office tracking and everything. And they'd show all these movies and they'll be like, okay, that's not really a Jennifer Love Hewitt movie, but uh, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's fine. If you want to give her all the credit for, Dude, you know, the suburbans is absolutely a Jennifer Love Hewitt movie. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and she was, in, she was entirely responsible for that huge bank that can't hardly wait. Made. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. It had nothing yeah. to do with the partying booze. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Guns N' Roses. As a side note, that movie did not make huge bank, but it's a huge cult hit. Anyway, we're Jenna way Elfman's off track. In that movie, she plays an angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jenna Elfman, remember her? Like she did a hit sitcom. She, and several she was a roles. big it girl and everything. And then, yeah, then what but, she's doing now? Now what? All right, Barrett. Man, there's a lot of good <laughs> ways that you can go with action. Yep. I, like, I mean, we could spend another hour just on on action alone. And yep. There's a couple that. I think I want to get to that because Jeremy took him first and I'm not going to mention it because I don't know if where, which way Chris is going to go. So I'm going to go with Voldemort. Um, is, I mean, that's, that is at least for the last 20 years as uh, emblematic of movie villainy and book villainy as you can possibly get. You almost, as long as you don't analyze his plans too deeply, I agree with you. Oh my God. That's what I was about to say. It's just, it's just that like, especially in, especially in uh, Goblet of Fire, that's the worst, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, actually, you kind of feel bad for him after, after, you know, five movies into this where it's like his plan would have been perfect if it weren't for this one particular thing that went wrong at the very end and like a phoenix shows up or like you know, <laughs> <laughs> like all of a sudden something you know crazy happens and it foils his plans all the guy wants right. to do is come back and you know rule the world and everything well there's this one magic that we haven't talked about in the other books that are suddenly <laughs> important now and we don't know if anybody will be able to do it but maybe just maybe they'll be able to do it this time all right and side note Yep. A future podcast discussion. Most worthless <laughs> heroes ever. Harry yes. Potter is my first nomination. Yes. That motherfucker does nothing in eight movies except die. That's good. <laughs> like, the only other thing he does that's good is be, be around the right people who know how to do shit at the right time. Like, he yep. himself does nothing. Nothing. Yep. I agree. Anyway, on Voldemort, I would say, um, you know, I think Order of the Phoenix is my favorite Harry Potter movie, and I think it is 100% because of that Voldemort-Dumbledore fight in the Ministry of Magic. Yep. Oh, yeah. End, which Absolutely. Is just thrilling. Like, I can find no fault with it. Every time I watch it, I get exhilarated. Um, and I remember saying at the time, and maybe even in the Sins video, and this was before Force Awakens, but this is more thrilling than any lightsaber bullshit from the prequels in Star Wars uh, mm -hmm. had to offer. It's just fantastic. And Ray Fiennes eats that role up. He's generally very good in everything he does, but he's extra creepy in this. And now that may be the 
performance or maybe the missing nose. I've never really quite known for sure which one it was. Um, yeah. I can't fault that choice, Barrett. Uh, I think we're, this is going to be a love fest because we're all smart people who make good choices. Exactly. <laughs> That's correct. Chris, Chris, what's yours? Okay. See, now, I thought for sure that Jeremy would say Hans Gruber. Now I've got... Yeah. I've got two different ones that are so good. Like you said, you could take a whole hour doing this. Yeah, you can name two, man. I'll give you the leeway. So here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to name Hans Gruber, but I'm going to have to name T-1000 also in this. Mm. But 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 uh, in our continuing uh, love of robots on this podcast, um, <laughs> although I think our last love of robots got lost. So, um, But uh, anyway, uh, Hans Gruber is... Um, uh, the reason why he's a great villain is because he's smart. Um, yeah. There's, there's so many things that he does in this and, and, and really just an example of it. And, and it's my, one of my favorite scenes in a movie in general is when, is when he runs into John McClane on the, he's looking for his detonators or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, John asks him who he is. And he knows that whole roster of people that's in that's in the building. Yeah. And he's like, I'm uh, name's Clay, Bill Clay. Yeah. And it, and the and the camera zooms up and it shows not only that it's it's Clay uh, who works on the you know on the floor, but it's William Clay. Like yeah. he knew to change it to Bill, like as a friend would. And um and and I've always loved that scene just for that general that general reason and, and his, his, you know, his whole idea is smart too. I mean, uh, he, and and it's one of those movies where like, uh, yeah, if it wasn't for McLean, he would have gotten away with this, you know? Um, uh, all of his, uh, his plan was absolutely perfect. It's just the fact that McLean, uh, is in there and he's killing a lot of his guys and, uh, it's not going to work, but, um, this is, uh, I mean, we're talking about Alan Rickman here. This is a performance that I think is singular. Like, how many actors at that point in time can you slide into that role and have this guy Gruber turn out the same? Like, I think maybe very few, right? Even somebody like Jeremy Irons struggled, you know, two movies later to do even close to the kind of justice Gruber did. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, Rickman did with Gruber. Um, So, yeah, again, I can't fault you. Gruber was on my list uh, just not the one I chose to go with uh, overall, uh, but he's great all the way up into his death. He's fantastic. Yeah, I just think that we don't see that with the villains anymore, and and I I'm struggling to think of. I'm I hate to I'm sorry to pick on Marvel again. I don't mean to do this, but there's just there's no who's who's like Hans Gruber in any of those Marvel movies. Uh, now, uh, Martin Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe later, maybe. <laughs> you know, what about we'll see, um, we'll see in Black Panther? Andy Circus in there for Age of Ultron, and then what? <laughs> like, are we going to yeah. see that guy again? Did we just waste that guy? What yeah, the fuck? I, I don't know, but there doesn't seem to be anybody who thinks their their plan out like Hans Gruber did in that movie. To think about all the different things that he, you know, he plans out it. It's uh, it, it's just fun thinking about his plan. And so, um, 
that that's why he's he's up there for me and i wish more villains would be like him and, and a lot of people point to the well he's the cackling kind of villain he's like a sarcastic whatever you know a lot of people just point to his line readings which are also of course great i mean and alan rickman just is great but just the character himself forget that even alan rickman's in it it's just his character itself is is great so yeah um I, I will I will say the T one thousand was the one it was the one that I was going to say if Hans Gruber uh, wasn't mentioned T one thousand is another villain we haven't seen uh, uh, much anything like it since yeah um uh, that that's T uh, two is is basically a horror movie um it, you know with Robert <laughs> Patrick playing a playing a Michael Myers type yeah. uh, in there but in in this case it's uh, it's it's something that's not supernatural it's just you know it's it's a it's a, a feat of technology we have never seen yeah um and uh and the the effects in that movie are still great uh even you know 25 years later well and that's the so creepy part relentless of, sorry Barry. yeah exactly no that's the, the the point like it never stops like it, <clears throat> it's never gonna stop that's what like gets under your skin is like this guy's not gonna stop until you're dead and yeah yeah that's that's it and yeah, and and you can do everything you want to to it, but it, it it's gonna it's gonna get back together and go after you yeah. after that. Like they, they explode this thing a couple of times, and he's just like, oh well, you know what? I have this ability where all my pieces come back together. Well, and this was the big coming out party for um, Robert Patrick. This was his big, huge first role. But it's worth noting he's in Die Hard too. Uh, ironically, <laughs> as one of the uh, special ops, like yep. terrorist guys. So, yep. Anyway, um, all right. Should we move on to horror? Yeah, horror. horror. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I predict some out there will call this a cheat. I don't believe it's true. I'm calling the best horror villain of all time the alien from Alien. Yeah, that's not um, cheating at all. I believe this is a horror movie that is also science fiction. Um, I believe one of the things that makes it such a great villain, in addition to, you know, last time we talked about this on the podcast, Chris, you were talking about how how sparingly it's used, and it's always there in the background, but, you know, it's almost like Jaws. It's not like in every frame. It's not like screaming at the camera. It's more about what's lurking that you can't see. Um, but they, we know so we know so little about it. The characters know so little about it. It starts out small on somebody's face, then it comes out of somebody's stomach, then it's huge and it has acid blood. And like <laughs> that adds to the the fright for me, at least, um, is that I don't know. The first time I'm watching this movie, I have no idea what this thing's capable of. Um, and it seems to be constantly changing. Uh, and, you know, along with The Shining, I always list um, the Alien uh, movie as the my favorite horror. So I, I have to go with the Alien from Alien. Um what do you guys think? Well, I totally agree with you. And I, I think most people who know movies are going to go along with that and say that aliens essentially a horror movie in space. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the thing is, is yeah, exactly what you were, you were sort of telling you know, I said earlier with this, there's something about it and it's going to be in the, it's going to be the, the villain that I come up with has the same trait, but, um, there's something to having seen what what a horror villain can do and then just taking him out but making sure that the audience always believes that it can come out at any time right and uh and that means every scene is set up for uh you know for you to be nervous about it 
And, um, and there's something to be said about that. Every time you watch a movie, a, a good horror movie is one that, you know, really just like, it could just be sitting there talking and then the alien could be sitting there plotting to go <laughs> come down and, and, uh, you know, attack and everything. Why don't we so, uh, skip Barrett for now and go right into yours, which seems to tie into mine. Okay. Well, uh, I, I feel like Michael Myers in the first Halloween mm-hmm. is, is sort of a model of what that alien thing is. For I mean, sure. um, uh, in especially the way Carpenter shoots it, it's, there's always like, and I've, I've mentioned this before in, in other podcasts, but he'll move the camera very subtly and you'll see Michael Myers in the background. <laughs> And, and then, then the camera will kind of move back and then whatever, the next time the camera moves over, he's not there. Now it does make you wonder what the hell is he doing? Maybe he's just plotting, you know, he's plotting, he's trying to get into <laughs> this, right. you know, he's taking notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Uh, he's taking notes. Um, and, um, and he's like, you know what? Uh, she's always in the kitchen at eight 35. I'm going to put that down in my little, uh, my little notebook and, uh, we will see if that comes back later. Um, um, but uh, he, he, you know, I mean, he's a guy who's who's uh, escaped from a mental institution, and uh, and uh, he's he's coming back on the the year anniversary and all this other stuff, or the the whatever year anniversary it is, um, uh, on Halloween, which you know. If you have somebody going around in a mask, people are like, well, it's just a guy trick or treating, you know. Uh, so it comes down to uh, there's a lot of like, you know. Uh, you know, misidentification and all that, you know, going on, but he's always there. He's always wandering around that neighborhood. He could come out of any, any place. So that's, uh, that's why I like Halloween so much. Uh, it's the, it's the total sense of dread that is exactly what the alien is and what Michael Myers is, is where you, it's the same thing almost with Voldemort, not to get too far off track, but like, it's more of like he's creepy because of how people talk about him and like how like his legend is more so than, you know, the performance itself. And that's what Michael Myers is. It's, it's the potential at any point of him wrecking shit and doing awful things. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to go with a, another movie that some people say is not a horror movie, but is absolutely a horror movie. And that's The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. And it's a horror movie. I mean, it really is. It's yeah. a horror movie, and what I think of when I think about horror movie villains is which is it's kind of few and far between, but it's the ones that really give you chills when you watch them, and mm-hmm. which is the same as Alien and and uh, Michael Myers. But Hannibal Lecter gives you chills. I mean, it may just be at this point where we're so ingrained and we we take it for granted, but when you first watch this performance, man, that was creepy. I mean, oh yeah. You didn't know what was going on in his head. You didn't know. I mean, when he just kind of puts his face against the the, the glass, uh, talking to Clary Starling at the beginning and talking just very calmly about a census taker trying to test him and his <laughs> liver, that freaks you out, man. And uh, there's there's no substitute for a smart villain and a villain that you have no clue what he's going to do, he or she is going to do. And that's my favorite type. Well, and think about how they set up Hannibal Lecter before she even uh, before she even interviews him mm-hmm. and everything. They talk about how, 
you know, don't get too close and all that. And like, what could he do? He's behind this freaking <laughs> plexiglass or whatever the hell it is. And, uh, and you know, this, all this and, and everything. But so it, there's that moment where she, uh, passes something along to him in that little drawer or whatever. Uh-huh. And he looks at it. And then when he slams it back, you're like, Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. He, he's just playing with it. But, um, his performance makes two other movies that are kind of average, really watchable, right? Yeah. Like with Red Dragon <laughs> and Hannibal. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and those have both come on in the last month and I have watched both of them and it is solely, I'm convinced it's solely because he's so good in this role. It almost makes me never want to meet him in real life at all. Cause he must yeah. have a little something in him that he can tap into to do this so well right it's creepy as fuck yeah it really is and and then i mean and then forget i mean we're even forgetting the fact that once he is start they start giving him privileges and they take him to memphis and Mm. uh and he's like in that you know that new jail cell and everything and what he does to sort of uh get out of it and everything (laughs) it's in, I mean, it's not only insane, but it's it's brilliant and scary and just all those different things at once. And you're just like, man, this guy is such a brilliant bastard. I actually hope he gets away with it. <laughs> he was on my list for sure, Barrett. So, I mean, yeah. kudos on the choice. And I, who's going to argue with that? I mean, he's what's awesome to me is that in each of the films – there's a different killer that somebody's after for the most part. And Mm -hmm. he's just being consulted, but he's still scarier than the killer who's out on the loose killing people because he's behind a glass cell or whatever, walking in the gym with a chain tied to him. He's still freakier by 10 times than Ray Fiennes and Red Dragon. Absolutely. And, you know, and we don't need to classify a movie as, you know, I mean, silence of the lambs, I mean, could be a, a number of things. I mean, it's also a horror movie. It's kind of like seven, seven's uh, a horror movie, yeah. uh, but it's also got, you know, it's a thriller mystery type of thing or whatever. It also brings up another great Harville and John Doe, um, mm-hmm. especially since he's not even seen until like the last 30 minutes of yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, just the, the stuff that he's doing, uh, you know, as a side note, it's funny to think about uh, the the little notebooks that he's writing in that they go they when they go into his apartment for the first time and Morgan Freeman writes I mean reads from it and everything. Um, those notebooks were actually like written completely out by somebody. Oh yeah, like like they weren't they weren't just scribbles. They they actually wrote a whole bunch of stuff like uh, the the ravings of a crazy man in there and it was all for like two seconds of run, you yeah. know, of movie time. But that just goes to show the detail they went into with that character before we even see it. So, yeah. um, uh, that's, a, I guess that would be my honorable mention, but we could go forever on those guys too. Anyway. Yeah, we could Kaiser Soze. <laughs> yeah. Kaiser Soze. Um, all right. So we have done, are we going to do more villains or do we need to get uh, to this next? No, thing? I mean, we should probably save that for the, for another podcast because, I've got one that really should have taken the whole thing in action that I'm going to save uh, until later on. So like many okay. of our topics, we can come back to it for a sequel. Yeah. So we will yeah. come back to it at some point because it's, uh, it's ripe with, there's tons of villains to go for. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to our Q and a question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. And what is the uh, actual question? All right. Jerry? So the question was, and, and we're kind of going by the book with the question. And uh, basically, they wanted to know, um, you know, popular films, really well-reviewed films, top 
250 IMDb films that that we have not seen, um, which is I think is a, I think is interesting because in in many cases, if not most, one of the three of us will have seen it, even if one or two of us haven't. Um, right. But before we go any further, let's talk about this IMDb 250 top films list because <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> number 62 is The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. And and I sent you guys a list last night of the movies in the top 100 I hadn't seen and in the middle of two movies is the phrase, "How the fuck is Dark Knight Rises 62 on this fucking list?" Well, yeah. It's not a good movie. It's not a great movie. It this is this is evidence that most of the voting occurs opening weekend, if not the first week, right? Well, IMDb does wait uh, the uh, the the voting. I do believe they do wait it. So, like in that opening weekend when everybody's like, "I love Civil War," and then they go and they make it, you know, ten out of ten and all that. Um, you know, that's why Civil War is like one seventeen on the list yeah. or whatever. Uh, but uh, but after after time rolls by, I think there's a they've sort of got this on an algorithm now, but there's a lot of people who retroactively come back and watch a movie. Like, you know, for instance, uh, the professional, a movie I love by the way, me too is Mm. number 27. Mm. It makes no sense. I mean, the movie is very good, but come on, I can come up with probably a hundred movies better than the professional. Well, and see, that's sort of the point. And I want to make that a public statement before we go any further is that we could use the AFI list or we could use the rotten tomatoes list, or we could use the IMDB list. The fact of the matter is there's going to be shit on that list you don't think is good and you're not going to agree 100% with any of these lists so for the sake of just picking one and going with the question askers you know determination we went with IMDB yes there are movies on this list that probably don't deserve it there are probably movies that deserve to be here on here that aren't that is not the point the point is what great movies have Barrett Chris and I missed out on that the others can chide them for missing and uh, we will move forward with that being the main thought okay Um, so I guess I'll go first on this because I've only not seen seven that are in this list. You motherfucker. The whole 250? (laughs) Well, of a hundred. We're doing a hundred, right? That's fine. I imagine if we went to the 250, it would still probably be a low number though, because I mean, I've seen a lot of these movies. I've got like 21. So you're Um, a bastard and I hate you. But, uh, the ones that I, okay. So. I, I didn't see Spirited Away. I actually started watching Spirited Away when our theater got it. And then it was just one of those nights where I was like, I am too tired to watch mm. this movie. It was like one o'clock. And that's that's not a movie that you just, you know, you have to be up for it sure. to watch it. Um, so I, and I still never got the chance to see it. And I know it's good. I know it is. So uh, I, I missed it. Uh, the Untouchables, The Intouchables. Um, uh, a movie that came out a couple of years ago. It wasn't long ago. It was like a few years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, the only thing that I remember about the untouchables is that, uh, and also at the theater, we had a special showing for Jerry Seinfeld when he came through. I remember, I'll never, I'll never forget that. And I actually wanted to watch the movie, uh, just, just to make sure everything was cool um before that showing or whatever but uh, for whatever reason i couldn't i couldn't watch Peter, it have you um, seen either of those because those are both on my list as well i haven't gotten to spirit away spirited away and untouchables is on my list it's supposed to be amazing i just i just haven't gotten to it yet have you seen either 
No, those are two that neither of us, uh, none of us have actually seen. But there is one, or actually maybe a couple. There is one that neither of you guys have, have seen and that I have, and that's Sunset Boulevard. Oh. Mm. Well, can you tell and, us about it? Well, it's terrific. I mean, it's it's very, very classic cinematic. It's, it's you know, what you think of when you think of like kind of golden age of Hollywood uh, was famous for, you know, one of the, the lines of, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Oh. And that was uh, Gloria Swanson, I believe. Uh, and no, it's really good. I mean, the the acting is terrific. It's about kind of an old, older, uh, washed up uh, actress and... Um, kind of, it's it actually features a uh, a, a cameo by C- Cecil DeMille, actually, for, mm. strangely enough. Uh, but no, it's really good. Uh, it's worth watching. It's one of those uh, 1950s films that actually comes on. Uh, I wake up early on Sundays, and it comes on like Turner Classic Movies. And uh, no, that's that's a really really good one to watch. And um, I'm frankly disappointed. In, in both of you. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm angry. I'm just disappointed. I can't tell you how much that affects my current mood. Oh my well, God. you guys are going to be very disappointed in me. The other ones that I haven't seen are Grave of the Fireflies, which is some is an anime movie that came out in 1988, and I had never heard of it before. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I was looking at it. I was like, why? I mean, usually I hear of all the big ones. Uh, so it's weird that I've never heard of this. Um and uh, so I haven't seen that. I, I have seen Akira, which is a, a movie that people always cite as one of the best anime movies. I saw Princess Mononoke. Yeah, I did too. Um, there's a uh, Once Upon a Time in America. I was surprised to see in the top 100. Yeah, um, that's a movie that I have. I I've never seen it, and so I can't really judge. But I remember like nobody liked that movie. Yeah, when it came I out. saw it. It's long as hell. Um. Uh, but I, there's nothing memorable, but I can't say anything about it. Uh, but well, on my I, list was Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's any connection. I really don't know. But um, Well, it's just it really just in name only. Like it's it's kind of like how Robert Rodriguez called Once Upon a Time in Mexico. You know, they make it sound like it's real epic okay. and, and everything. Okay. So, I mean, there yeah, there's really no other um, connection to it. Uh, unless it is Sergio Leone, that's why. Wow! So he did both Once Upon a Time in America and The West. Yep. Wow! So that's in so. So it was his. It's sort of his way of saying this is going to be epic, motherfuckers. Better yeah. watch this shit. Yeah. Um. So. Um. But uh, no, I have never seen that. Uh. But I know that like a a, a a restored version of it or whatever came out. It, it, I guess it got cut up or whatever when it came out in theaters. And then they came out with the, like the director's edition or whatever director's cut. And everybody was like, you know what? This movie's a lot better than I thought it was, even though it's like an hour longer. Or yeah, something. That doesn't ever work for me. Um, yeah. But speaking of Westerns, I have on my list and I, this is maybe one of the most, this is, I'm more ashamed of this than almost anything else on my list, but I've never seen the good, the bad and the ugly. Also, Sergio Leone. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, keeping it was his whole, one accident. Yeah, that's his whole. That's his whole trilogy. Basically, you have uh, you know him, but it's the Dollars um, trilogy, right? The fistful yeah, of dollars and a few dollars. Yeah, it's more a man him. with no name. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, good, bad, and the ugly. Good movie. Uh, I'm I'm not as high on it as a lot of people are, but I I, I like it. It's a good movie. Oh, really? Well, oh, yeah, what did you love it? Oh yeah, I think it's it's great, man. I think that's probably my favorite of that trilogy: the fistful of dollars and a few dollars more, and then. Uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's like three roustabouts, and 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 they're actually like it, it, they're literally like the good who's Clint Eastwood and the bad and the ugly. I forget 
Ernest Borgnine or something like that is in it. <laughs> it's um, um, Eli Wallach. Eli Wallach. Um, anyway, no, yeah. it's it's really good. It, it from the cinematography and like it's the iconic like sweeping western. And of course, the Ennio Morricone doing the score yep. and, all that and stuff. And nah, it, it, that's definitely worth checking out. But my one of the things that I'm ashamed of uh, not seeing, and that's up at 26 on the IMDb list. I don't know if it's worth being that high, but uh, Jeremy was saying that it, it's it's definitely worth watching. His life is beautiful. Yeah, oh, it uh, is. Yeah, great which, movie. Uh, was Roberto Benini's big breakout performance, which he is yet still yet to follow up, I think. You know, I mean, yeah, well, it may be in America. Yeah, he's doing okay in foreign markets. Yeah, um, but Life is Beautiful is is uh, is a great movie just because it's so unusual. Like, um, it's not it's not your typical, um, you know, Nazi war camp type movie, um, especially considering at the time that it came out. Um, there was a string after Schindler's list. It was, yeah. uh, it was a lot of, you know, I mean, rightfully so depressing movies. I think this was even um, the same year as saving private Ryan. Wasn't it? It was, yeah. there was, there was three movies in 98 that were all world war two. And it was this saving private Ryan and Fed red line. And then you had the two Elizabeth movies, Elizabeth and Shakespeare in love. Those were the five nominees. Well, if you don't know, life is beautiful is about a Jewish guy who tries to, he spends the whole movie basically trying to convince his son that the Nazi occupation and the concentration camps and all of it is just this game. Um, and so he acts goofy and fun and basically continually lying to his kid for the betterment of his kid's outlook on life. And it's every bit as soul crushing as that sounds. Uh, and yet it is still touching and moving and funny. My wife just watched it a couple months ago um, after me nagging her to death. Uh, and I remember, I think I cried when I saw this in the theater. Like, it's that moving. It's a great film. I love it. I yeah. It. Like, yeah, at the very beginning of it, it, you know, when they first get in the camp, he tells all the people, he's like, I'm going to translate. Nobody, nobody, uh, um, let on that I'm not telling the truth to my kid or right. whatever. And of course the Nazi guys don't know either. So like he comes up and the Nazi guys like telling everybody like, you know, this is going to be awful. You're only going to be able to do this and you're only going to be able to do that. And you can't do this unless I say so. And then meanwhile, the translation from Benini is like, we're going to play a game. Whoever is silent, the fa the silent the longest gets to win a prize and all this other stuff. Yeah. And we're trying to win a big prize at the end and all that. And the kid's like uh, enthralled with this you yeah know? um so it's a it's a yeah it's a great movie really, uh, really i mean i what i took from it is that i regularly call my wife principecha um which is his uh, <laughs> yeah. pet name for his wife italian for i think princess but uh yeah yeah and uh joshua is his son's name but he says je suis. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah it's a great movie now now listen we shared last night with each other and so i know i've missed one that chris loves and I know mm -hmm. Chris has missed one that I love. Mm -hmm. And so in the next few minutes, Chris, I need you to sell me Amelie or Amelie. Okay. Amelie. And yep. I will sell you Singing in the Rain. Ooh, okay. Do you want to go nice. first? Yeah. Um, Amelie is, uh, first off, uh, it's great mainly because of Audrey Tattoo, who is is just cute as a button, very much Audrey Hepburn-esque mm. in it. Um, it's a fantasy, it's a type of a fantasy movie, but it's, uh, you know, Jean-Pierre Jeunet who did like city of lost children and, um, alien resurrection. 
yeah, Alien Resurrection. Uh, but uh, but this one is 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 a masterpiece from him. Um, but mainly, uh, Audrey Tattoo is so likable in it, and it's basically just her. Uh, you know, going through life and, and trying to figure it out and all that type of stuff. But there's like scenes in there where, where, uh, sh- she's just thinking about how many, how many people are having orgasms right now. And so the scene, <laughs> so the, so the movie cuts to like all these like different, uh, 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 you should go ahead and do that as an outtake. Um, <laughs> The, you know, and everything. And like, there's like this, like, uh, just like this quick montage of people having sex God. and she turns to the camera and she's like, Kent's and it's 15. You know? <laughs> she's fr- and, um, and, uh, and like, uh, and like, she's like, uh, Amelie does not like, you know, and it shows like people, you know, like there's like one of the things she doesn't like is, uh, characters in movies who don't look at the road when they're talking to each other and in a, in a car, you know, and it shows a, it shows a scene. Yeah, exactly. It shows the scene where the, the characters are in the car, a guy's driving and he's just sitting there having a conversation with his head turned towards the girl the whole time. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. And there's like the, there's the mystery of the, there's the mystery of the, uh, the guy in the, who keeps taking a picture in the photo booth and all that. Like, who's this guy? Why does she keep running into this guy? But there's like this sort of serendipitous romance that's happening. She wants to go out with this one guy. And I remember the actor's name is uh, Matthew Kasovitz, I believe is his name. Um, she, he, she's trying, she wants him and, and, uh, he's like, I, I don't remember if he's even aware of her or whatever, but, uh, like the whole movie, she's hoping that he'll notice her and all sort of stuff, but it's such a magical type of movie. Um, the, the stuff that I just talked about is in there in force and it's uh, well shot and just Audrey, you'll fall in love with Audrey tattoo. I certainly, what's did. fascinating to me is that I feel like I've never heard that about this film. Like, I thought it was just a cute, probably romantic film with an actress who was really magnetic. Um, Mm -hmm. But nobody's ever told me, like, it almost sounds like Stranger Than Fiction, the way you describe it. And Mm -hmm. this movie I love. Um, In terms of the kind of unique way of shooting and perspective and whatnot. And and I'll give you a pat on the back. The last five minutes of you describing the movie has made me want to watch it. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just fun. I mean, and yeah, it's it's got elements of what you were just saying there, but it's no, it's not a common romantic comedy or by any means. Yeah, well, so, and I think you know, I speak English, so foreign language films are like you know the devil, right? But I, but it's yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't, I don't like reading. We don't like reading. reading. That's why. Ding. Yeah, exactly. So we don't watch those foreign films. Well, listen, let me tell you why you should watch Singing in the Rain. Oh yeah, let's um, go for it. Now, I was raised on White Christmas from mm-hmm. the the age of three on to today, I have seen that movie one to three times every Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom and her sister fell in love with it when they were girls. They have imparted that onto me and my brother. I can no longer differentiate if White Christmas is good or bad on a on a objective kind of scale. I'm completely bought in. Um, but if I were to list my second favorite musical, it's Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are multiple reasons why I think you would like this. First of all, is that Gene Kelly's voice is fucking velvet. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, just like Bing Crosby, maybe even more so. It is so fucking smooth, dude. His <laughs> voice is unreal. Um, and Donald O'Connor, the the, the comedy foil, um, his dancing is so crazy. And it's interesting that I'm talking about this in White Christmas in kind of the same breath because both films have a really good singer and a really good dancer kind of paired up. 
and they're both doing dancing and singing. Uh, but Donald O'Connor's Make Him Laugh, where he runs off the walls and up over the couch and does the kind of acrobatics that would make John Ritter blush. Um, it's <laughs> physical comedy set to music. And it's, it's I mean, it, it's amazing. But all that aside, the reason I think you should watch this movie, you, Chris, is mm-hmm. that it's about the movies. And it's about the first talkie right? Where they had audio Mm -hmm. to go along with the visuals. And the girl Mm -hmm. they've been using as this actress has the high-pitched fork on the chalkboard annoying (laughs) voice. So they put in um, Deborah, what's her name, to be the the audio voice of this beautiful blonde girl. And of course, there's a love triangle with her and Gene Kelly and whatnot. Uh, And all the drama spills out from that. But just the film historian in you alone will probably enjoy all of the jokes and references and uh, in-jokes and whatnot with regard to moving from, you know, sound-free movies to talkies. Um, and I don't know, Barrett, have you seen this film? Can you weigh in? Oh, on yeah. It? Yeah, no, that's Debbie Reynolds, man. Uh, Debbie, Debbie Reynolds, Reynolds right. before uh, she went on to her illustrious Vegas career. Yeah. As a, mm-hmm. uh, but no, it's it's terrific. <laughs> I, I, I'm reminded of this and I actually really want to see it again. I love these dancing movies. And, you know, there's... there's <laughs> These choreographed the the Gene Kelly and the Fred Astaire and all that yeah. stuff. Um, oh, I could I I just watched that. Used to watch it all the time with my with my grandmother and uh, with my my mom too. So that brings back good memories. But Singing in the Rain was always in the rotation between uh, that and uh, and White Christmas and uh, Holiday Inn um, and uh, all the Fred Astaire movies, <laughs> the Ethel Merman movies. Yeah, sorry, that's that's about, a departure. Um, but there was just weird the- like. In the the early, I guess this is fifties or something like that. They had like genre movies of like synchronized swimming and like <laughs> yeah. tap dancing. <laughs> There's a huge synchronized swimming in the Great Muppet Caper, which you were raving about in the yeah. last podcast. Yes, so yes. for the record, Absolutely. I just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love that stuff. <laughs> so. I will definitely watch Singing in the Rain at some point. It's not because I have avoided it. It's just that it's, you know, been, it's never been on the radar. Uh, I hear about it all the time, but it's, it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where they, uh, they tell you about Singing in the Rain all the time. Every Oscar telecast has the Gene Kelly thing going through the, you know, they, and it's like, all right, I'm tired of hearing this bullshit. I'm never going to watch this movie. Well, it's not Um, like, um, Barrett, help me. What's the Pygmalion musical movie with Audrey Hepburn? Oh, uh, My Fair Lady. Lady? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not like that. My Fair Lady has some good scenes and some good songs, but it's four and a half fucking hours long and it's boring Mm. as shit. And by the time it's over, you're going to be like, what the hell? Like, Singing in the Rain is not like that. It's it's always engaging and interesting. And I just just think because of your love of film, you will like it. By the way, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. (laughs) Yeah, which is fine. Um, It is fine. (laughs) But yeah, and just to touch back on Amelie and or whatever, you know, the I, I read the synopsis um, because I, I, I it was hard for me to try to describe what was going on in it. But basically, she's trying to help all these people in her life all the way through it. And it's basically like she always helps other people, but she never helps herself and all mm-hmm. that. But the way she goes and helps people is always just magical and entertaining and all that. So, uh, um. There's another one on this list that I thought you were going to bring up. Um, I, I thought you were going to bring this one up other than Amelie, and it's City of God. Yeah, I'm a bastard. Like, okay, so I, I know it's amazing. I just, okay, so I feel City like- of God is still my number one movie of the past of this new millennium. Wow. And I would probably. That's put, how good it is. 
you know, I I think I have said Children of Men would be my number one, and we'll debate <laughs> this some point on the podcast for sure. But right. listen, I have no doubt when I watch City of God, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to love it. I'm going to kick myself for not having seen it. I've just been told so many times it's so heavy that I, I feel like I have to get myself ready for it. Like, am I wrong? Heavy? Like, oh, yeah. Whoever's been telling you it's like heavy. This movie's like, it's like a, a reincarnation of Pulp Fiction, but it's in Brazil. And well, no one's ever like, sold it to me like that. Oh my God. It's just, I mean, it's got, it's got all these different perspectives. It's almost told in an epic fashion because it starts off uh, with the main characters young. And then, and then it shows as they get older and everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's some heavy stuff in it, but I mean, come on. I mean, the movie is just, it's just grabs you. It's kinetic as hell. And uh, there are scenes in that movie that are, that are just right in line with Jeremy Scott. Um, and I won't tell you what those scenes are, but I know that there's some scenes in there that you're going to be like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Listen, you have never steered me wrong. Like we disagree plenty of times, but mm-hmm. every time you've said you need to watch this movie, I've loved it. And that goes for X-Men First Class. That goes for <laughs> uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It goes yep. for the Fantastic Mr. Fox. You want yep. three, three. So <laughs> I will watch this movie and I have no doubt I will love it and uh, uh, I will not look back. But it is just it's just one I haven't gotten to yet. So Yeah, it'll it'll slay your ass. Um I look forward to having <laughs> that sounds fun. Yes. <laughs> not bloody or painful um, at all. <laughs> another huge one I noticed in these lists uh, was the lives of others. You both haven't seen that. Mm. Yeah. Um another unbelievably great movie Hmm. um it takes basically what where the if you guys like the conversation it takes it takes that and then it takes it to a a, even uh, i think it takes it to a new level i think it's even better than the conversation um it's just one of those movies like even after like the main story that we've been following is done um, it still has a big surprise for you afterwards. Hmm. And, um, and, uh, I remember when this came out, um, you know, I don't know if I saw this in theaters or not, but then I eventually saw it. And, uh, and I, I just, it's, it's one of my, it's another one of those movies that I would have to consider is probably my top 10 of the new millennium. Hmm. So, um, uh, it's just, you know, it's about a guy, uh, over, you know, he's bugged, uh, he's bugged an apartment and he's listening in on these, like sort of these radicals and everything. And, uh, you know, get, you know, just hit a, a sort of a mystery involved, you know, gets involved with that and everything. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more about it. It's just a great movie. I'd like to share a headline I just read on a website called Kotaku.com. Which I don't know if uh-huh. you read, but the headline reads, the Warcraft movie is not good. <laughs> oh. Mm. And I'd like to issue that as breaking news. That's not a shock. <laughs> um, because surely we all were expecting, like, the apex of cinema, video game cinema to boot uh, from this film. But anyway. Well, again, a problem. it's a problem when you get a guy who's done an independent movie that almost everybody loves. And, and, you know, I think everybody loves moon and they love what Duncan Jones did with it. They just, and and then they give them these big, huge projects afterwards. Like, Oh, you did one movie. Let's do a huge movie now. Well, uh, Uh, and of course I don't know if anybody could make Warcraft work, but you know, well, I agree with that. Um, but, 
the same thing, I mean, is Gareth Edwards kind of maybe the best example of this where he did sort of like a small film, got attention and then was given Godzilla and well, no, it's happening. It's happening all over the place. You have Colin Trevorrow who did um, uh, safety, not guaranteed. And then went on to do Jurassic world. Now is doing star Wars and Jurassic world is not good. I don't understand this decision. I didn't like it either. Um, But uh, it it seems like that. And uh, and there's another, there's another, um, I can't remember who else is in this, in this list. I think the Russo brothers might even be on this list. Yeah, maybe. Of, uh, cause they did a lot of TV. Well, and, James Gunn and, did like the Scooby-Doo movies. And then, and I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's probably my top three or four Marvel movies, but I think he had a similar jump. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing this more often now in a way they were doing it before, but the, the directors had a lot of, had a big resume like Sam Raimi when he was tapped to do Spider-Man. Right. Uh, he was he was mainly a small independent guy for a long time, but he had a huge body of work yeah. behind him before he did that. So um, you could make an argument, even Christopher Nolan giving given Batman Begins and that whole trilogy was like ahead of the curve, right? Because that yeah. was before he'd made the Prestige and Inception, what are considered to be two of his best films. This was, he just made Memento and that Alaska Insomnia movie, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he had, well, he had done that. And like, uh, the, uh, you know, before Memento, he did, um, a movie called following, um, oh, never seen Hugo weaving. Um, oh, there you go. Full circle. Um, uh, by the way, just, just as an aside, James Gunn wrote the screenplays to Scooby-Doo. He didn't actually direct them. Oh, but like, well, um, thanks for correcting me <laughs> publicly. Well, I, <sighs> no, you're right. I, I, every time we do these things, I'm like, God damn it. We always, I, I, there was one podcast where I told Barrett to cut me out like four times because <laughs> I kept saying the wrong thing. And I was like, I, cause I was, I was listening back to it and I was like, why did I say that? That's not right. Man, That's not right I'm at all. I'm happy that the, the guy, the guy I named and the movie I named were still connected, even if it was a different role. I'm, I'm just happy yeah, I got he, that much he, right. he was still affiliated with yeah. it for sure. He, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, anything else about this, uh, top 100 that we need to talk about. I, I know that there's a few others uh, on your list, Jeremy, you got cinema Paradiso, which is another just, I mean, it's just another great movie. Um, it always felt like a film school snob movie to me, the way people talked about it. it just, oh, fuck no. Uh, oh, okay. fuck no. Well, I trust um, you more than I do other people. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, it did win like best foreign language film and, and all that. And it does have like your, uh, occasional pretentiousness or whatever. But uh, uh, this movie, if you're now, this is up my alley because it's about projectionists mm. in movie theaters. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it, it sort of, it's got that epic feel to it where you got a kid who grows up and, you know, he falls in love and he's a, you know, he, whatever, but he's got a father figure basically who's a projectionist at this theater. And, and uh, just all the different things that they do in that movie. Like there's a scene where uh, there's a, they have a sold out theater and there's like a, a mob of people outside who want to see the movie and the projectionist finds a way to get it, get the image <laughs> to project outside and everything. And it's, like it's one of those magical moments. And yeah, exactly. And there's a, there's a line in there where the guy goes, 
um, I love it when the crowd laughs and the kid's like, why? And he's like, he's like, because it, it, it makes me feel like I'm the one who made them laugh. Yeah, and dude, that's why I used to go into the back of Liar Liar when it was playing. Yeah. It's original run. Like, no, no, no movie, any portion ever made the audience laugh so consistently than those outtakes at the end of Liar Liar, man. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it, it's, it's one of those, I mean, it, some of the, some of the people have been steering you wrong on some of these movies. All here. right. All right. I and, uh, I was alone and no one else. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I love those movies and, and I know that occasionally I'll say something like, you know, like tonight, good, bad, and the ugly isn't, isn't one of my favorites of all time. I know it's a lot of people's, but, um, you know, sometimes I just don't, I don't, I'm not as big uh, into those movies, but Hey, I've got, I've got three or four there that, uh, that I think you should go, go and watch. Yeah. Whatever, so, right. um, well, I think we're all leaving this podcast with like a to-do list. Are we not? Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll probably watch singing in the rain tonight. <laughs> um, awesome, man. Make them laugh, make them laugh. <laughs> all right um, so that that is the end of uh an incredibly long syncast yeah. we talked a lot about a lot of things there um yeah we did um guys keep on going to sound soundcloud i think is what it's called <laughs> keep going to soundcloud uh and uh giving us uh comments we are reading those and those are uh uh helpful just tell us how much we suck or are great we like them both um yeah, and, I'll actually uh, post the link to the uh, IMDb Top 250 and tell us which ones that you haven't seen. We're, there's a lot of back and forth in on the SoundCloud comments, so keep them coming. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that'll be the Sincast this week. Uh, this is Chris Atkinson with Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Have I done my job up to your goddamn standards? Yeah, you my standards you fit the model of drug seeking behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hate her in that movie. I, I love I, her, but I don't like her in that movie. I that's what I'm her. saying. I, that's what I'm saying. I hate her in that movie. Yeah. Uh, it's the accent, I think, though, right? It's the accent and, like, just, it's a little bit overacting. Like, a little bit. Uh, she also fucks the criminal in addition to her, like, fiancé cop, which I always find a little out of character. Yeah, just, just out of nowhere. Like, oh, you're he's being very like, vulnerable. That makes me want to fuck. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, as soon as they get done with the argument and everything and he goes, you want to have some coffee? She's yeah. like, yeah, that sounds yeah. good, actually. What the hell? <laughs> I kind of was yearning for you there during that argument. I'm glad God, you did. When Matt Damon hits on her in the elevator, I know this is the point, but man, he holds up that elevator so goddamn oh, long. I, know. I don't know <laughs> why somebody way. doesn't punch him in the dick. I'm it's the like same way. way beyond. I know. Be accepted. It, it, gets my, it gets my like OCD stuff going crazy. <laughs> God, like, damn it, let it go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just step off. There's one flight of stairs you want. Jesus. <laughs> I think he yeah. wants everybody to see how awesome a flirt he is. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd stab somebody in the heart if he gave me your number. Um, <laughs> it's probably the Goo Goo Dolls. You live right next to the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, it's totally. It's, the- do- it's Dolce or however you say it. <laughs>
Yeah. Dautre. <laughs> yes. That's the French pronunciation. Dautre. Dautre. I don't even know how to say the French pronunciation of my French book title. Like, I know what the letters are, but I don't know how to say it in French. What is it? Like, Les Progressives or something, something like, like that? that? Yeah, I say it like less prodigious because that's how Americans say things. But, but um, Prodigé. Prodigé. I don't know. Prodige? I'm sure Prodige. it's I'm sure it's the translation for protege or or uh, prodigy. Ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh. you should go ahead and do that as an outtake.